The club sprint class at World Time Attack is actually one of the more competitive with a very limited number of modifications that can be made to the car. And we're here with Jamal Assad's Evo 6 RS, which is the reigning club sprint championship winning car from 2019, the last time World Time Attack ran. And uh, we're going to have a chat with Ben from Benchmark Solutions about uh, some of the changes that have been made to the car. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures and presented it in podcast format for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. Uh, Ben, so far the car, as I understand it, has run about... Is it two seconds a lap quicker than it did back in 2019? Yeah, so between two and three seconds from 2019, uh, we're down to a 33.7 as of this morning. Now, despite the fact that the car's that much quicker, from what you've told me off camera, it's actually making quite a bit less power, which would on face value seem pretty counterintuitive. So can we have a quick rundown on some of the the key elements that you've changed since 2019? Yeah, so um, before 2019, everything was massive. Big power, big big uh, piping, big turbo, everything. 2019, we brought everything down the size uh, and found great gains everywhere. 2021, uh, and through Oz Time Attack in the last few years of testing, we've gone down to a smaller turbo kit again, a little bit more serviceable. Uh, and we've found that we were probably, we've, we felt like we were overpowering the chassis. Uh, so we've pulled around 100 kilowatts out of it now. So is this, you've said overpowering the chassis, are you talking about basically you're making more power than the car could put to the track, or is it more a case of getting a, a, a power band that's more usable? Yeah, um, probably both. Uh, we knew that we had large areas to gain in braking, um, diff control, chassis management, things like that, and that really putting power into it anymore was we were going either the same or going backwards. And, and I think it's really important for people who are just looking at power figures to understand that uh, tractability, particularly out of low-speed corners where you may be lower in the yeah. RPM, if you're off boost there and it takes uh, you know a second to, to get back into the boost boost curve, you know that, that's a lot of time that you're actually losing. You repeat that a couple of three times around a track, and it's a big difference. So, you, you've said you've gone down again in turbo size. So, can you tell us what you're running at the moment? Uh, yeah. So we're now running a Garrett G G3770. Uh, in the newer release G series, um, now fitted to an Artec cast manifold, so it's a lot more serviceable, um, similar mid-range and low end, uh, but a lot flatter power and torque curve now. You mentioned serviceability a couple of times, so can you just elaborate on what what you're actually referring to around that with that Artec investment cast manifold? Yeah, so normally with your bigger tubular manifolds, they they look really nice, they perform well. However, the way the runners are typically ran for sizing and power band, they don't allow you to get tools on them, uh, they don't allow you for quick changes, quick repairs, things like that to turn around session to session. So after we had a turbo failure a few years ago and it became blatantly obvious that we couldn't turn the car around. The car was not damaged, but we couldn't get the car apart and back on. And it took two sessions to do that. So that was where a fundamental change in how the car was built was looked at uh, to make sure that this kind of stuff was never ha- doesn't happen again. 
Yeah, I, I do often wonder to myself as I'm getting in there with the the, uh, the ring spanner and I'm doing a sixteenth of a turn at a time, wondering exactly. if the if the guy who ever designed this manifold actually ever had to install or remove Correct. one. So it's, it's, it's an easy thing to, to, to overlook there. Yeah. And you can see with the, the design there, everything is nice and accessible yeah, and right. V-band as well for the yep. turbine wastegate. Yeah, so no gaskets was the main thing. Uh, no studs, uh, basically no less points of failure. Um, at wastegates easily accessible, uh, dump tubes accessible, both turbo in and out are accessible, uh, and all the lines in and out of the wastegate and turbo are accessible. So, okay, other than the turbo which we've covered now, what else have you changed on the package? Uh, so once we found the turbo was where it needed to be, uh, we then looked at other possible areas. So the next one to be identified was the camshaft package. Uh, this car has come to me with an existing package. Um, it was running a HKS uh, older cam grind, 272-278 split. Um, really good for a street car, but not in the power band that we're operating in. So we went to our tried and tested uh, cam from American GSC. Uh, they call it an S2274. Um, picked up what we thought it would, no loss of spool and torque after optimising the variable cam, uh, and then 25 to 30 kilowatt gains and about 50 to 80 newton metres throughout the rev range. That, that's a significant improvement. Yeah. Uh, you've just mentioned variable cam, so yeah. just uh, to clarify, this is an Evo 9 engine or yeah, cylinder right. head fitted to the Evo 6, so variable cam control on the inlet cam, and I assume from what you've just said, uh, optimising that and swinging that cam through the rev range is critical? Yeah, that's right. So pretty much um, as far as it'll go reliably on uh, on initial ramp up and then um, just calibrated on the dyno to find where the sweet spot of airflow through the cam versus RPM on the engine. What we did find ironically though that the camshaft now flows so much it's taken a lot bigger toll on the turbine wheel and housing um, regards to like the manifold pressure and the exhaust and um, we're actually making a little bit less right up the top just due to the engine efficiency but everywhere else is so much so much larger in, in, in power and torque that it's not overall area under the usable oh, yes, power band is, is improvement. Yep. And another big change is in the braking department, so talk us through that. Yeah, so um, we work closely with a company called 909 Motorsport, which uh, are a distributor of Bosch ABS units. So this has now got a fitted an M5 uh, club sport package. Uh, it's um, yeah, it's pretty mind-boggling. The, the braking now, it's the same stuff that's on GT3 cars and stuff, so... Um, that was a big, big, big step forward in braking. Uh, previously, the Evo 6 comes out with a factory ABS system. Were you previously running that ABS or was it not up to the task? Uh, so the RS is our option, ABS or non. This one had no ABS, so we ran it the first few years with no ABS. Um, the driver, Jamal, was doing quite well. We weren't really pinching tyres too much and things like that, but we were just finding there was less and less large portions to grab at for power and time, sorry, for time to be gained. So, um, yeah, the ABS was a big, big game changer, uh, in my opinion. And then especially if the weather's inclement, then that's it's even better. I mean, definitely, if you're not a professional driver as well and you're out on a, on a wet track, then uh, yeah, the, the consistency of and driver confidence that comes from knowing that you're not going to lock a, a wheel when you hit the brakes, I, I think is, is worth worthwhile, yeah, definitely. definitely. 
All right, so another aspect that I'm really interested in diving into is your center diff control, because yep. as with a, a lot of these four-wheel drive cars, the Evo has an adjustable center diff. So essentially you've got the ability to control the, the torque split front to rear within certain realms. So yep. can you talk to us about how you're doing that and how critical that is to lap times? Uh, yeah, so this car runs, as we've said before, a Motec M1 with a custom package from NA Autosport in Queensland. Uh, Nick Ashwin, who wrote the package, has had a lot to do with bringing the diff control up to the last uh, stage of where it's at now. Um, we initially ran it, uh, but the success wasn't as good as what we felt. Um, so Nick's come on board, sorted out all the dramas, um, and really worked in refining the last little bit and piece. But uh, now the diff control is completely uh, refined regarding pressure in and out of, of braking and accelerating. Uh, steering angle and G and yaw and everything is factored into that as well. Uh, but it basically just controls the lock and unlocking of the diff. Uh, just to give um, good drive out of the corners, um, no wheel spin out of the corners, a lot more stability on braking. Uh, but overall, chassis, chassis balance to the driver is a big, big, big gain from the diff. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com free and start developing your own skills today. What, what are you using as uh, input in order to go in a certain direction with the diff control? Is this based on data input or are you basing it on driver feedback or is it a combination of all of the above? Uh, it's a combination of both. Um, we thought we had the diff control quite good, but then the driver feedback was telling us otherwise, even though it wasn't always shown in the data. So um, going back to using the driver is the most important because he's actually steering the car. And then if he's finding that it's, say, wheel spinning or it's pushing or that kind of feel, sometimes you don't always see that when you're looking through um, your traces. So we found that using that and refining um, the way the diff's locking and unlocking, some, some, sometimes too much lock on corner exit will tend to push. Um, just using that kind of approach. So it's a balanced approach between both. And when you're talking about uh, a handling balance uh, for a car, obviously there's, there's different elements that can influence the handling balance between understeer or push and, and oversteer or the car being loose. Part of that of course is the diff control yeah. and how you're doing that, but of course the actual suspension setup, anti-roll bars, spring rates etc. also influence that. So can how do you decide whether you're going to change the uh, the mechanical package in terms of uh, spring rates, anti-roll bars, etc., versus trying to fix that in the diff control, yep. or can you kind of overcome some potential handling imbalance in the chassis with the diff control? So you you can only correct so much of one area with a mechanical issue till you start chasing your tail. In my experience, um, so this car also this year has shock pots fitted. So I forgot to mention that that made a humongous difference in suspension setup. So um, yeah. Work with a company in Sydney called uh, DNA Autosport. Um, they're primarily chassis suspension and driver tuning. So um, they revalved all the shocks after taking data from the shock bots and then have worked closely to make suspension changes. So we made no diff changes at all until that we felt the suspension was, was where it needed to be. Or sorry, they felt the suspension was where it needed to be. The driver was confident in the suspension, confident in the braking, confident in all the other areas. And then we kind of uh, have brought the diff control in to refine the overall, rather than changing too many things we're probably guilty of in the past. And you're not sure if one does the other. And so it's the two or three years off has been a bit of a blessing in that way because you can have one sort of the side of the car sorted and then let's pull all the power out of it and, and step forward in each area and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, essentially it makes sense to try not to put a band-aid over a, a mechanical yeah. setup uh, yeah. fault. Exactly. 
Oh, it's been great to get some insight into the carbine and I mean, just a, a, another shining example of where power is not the be all and end all, sometimes less uh, can in fact be more. The, the time that you've managed to get out of this lap time around here in the two years since last World Time Attack is certainly uh, impressive so we wish you all the best for the rest of the weekend, thanks. No worries, thank you, cheers. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.